Octavia Butler said it best, I know that I am a rare bird. For this particular show, it has been an absolute joy to have interviewed Jean Nicole Rivers, mother, horror writer, and active participant in the culture. On this particular show, we talk about the impact of black horror as it relates to black history, her own writing process, and we fangirl a little bit about our favorite anti-hero, sweethearted villain, Joe Goldberg. I invite you to sit back, relax, and get ready for the tour de force that is Jean Nicole Rivers. Welcome to the Writer's Block. This space is for aspiring writers, indie and published authors who desire tips, tricks and tools to foster confidence in your ability to write. This space is also for voice actors, editors and literary agents. All those people whom are writing adjacent. Let this space be a haven, a resource, and a reminder you can write all you see and see all you write. Grab your pens. We're about to circle the block. Hello. Hi, Jean. It is so good to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm super excited. Yay! But for those of uh, the listening audience who may not be really familiar with you, can you give us a brief introduction? So, um, my name is Gina Cole Rivers, and I write um, a series, um, a small town horror series. It's called Blackwater Tales, and I just recently released on the 29th um, the third novel which is titled To the Moon and Back. The first is called The Secret Keepers and the second is called The Unwanted. Ooh, I'm all, I'm already excited about that. I'm already looking for my personal ARC and all, <laughs> that, and all that will be in the show notes. And the one thing that I have always been impassioned about, if I can use that word, is really and still is and perhaps always maybe are Black women who write horror stories. I really believe that with with everything that black women have experienced that we have a unique viewpoint when it comes to things that scare us because to frighten a black woman that's a whole the whole that's a whole other superpower because we're but then again it goes that goes into um the mythos of what makes you know black women quote unquote superhuman because we're right we're expected to confront to confront everything confront the things that scare us and be able to be you know, this protective force for good. And in, yep. in, and in so doing, I think sometimes we don't really understand exactly what that means. And sometimes it takes that lens of, um, of fiction and of horror and to truly, to truly begin to expound and dig into that. Like one, right. one of the things that, because um, again, my, my family has uh, roots both uh, maternal and paternally have roots in Mississippi. And it takes some time to take the concentrated effort not to say Mississippi or Louisiana. <laughs> but, um, but with them having roots there, my grandmother had uh, what I now know um, as these you know, voodoo practices. One of them was, she told, and she told my aunt this, 
He told her when she was uh, getting, she was fixing her house. He told her to make her house, to build her house with new wood so demons wouldn't get in. Mm. So, you know, you pick, and then of course you being a writer, you pick up these little, you know, these scraps of information. Yep. And you want to know like, okay, why, what happened? Who do you know that this did, you know? So then it, so then you tumble down the rabbit hole of what happened if someone who didn't do that. Right. But as with all things, I really believe that black women need to be heard in this particular genre because again, we have, there is a such a complexity of black women and it yep. does take the window and door of fiction to explore those things and make us and both, and both uh, make us seen and heard. So with that being said, can you describe your writing journey? So um, it, it actually started with storytelling. Uh, my grandmother used to always tell me bedtime stories. Um, and they weren't scary stories, uh, but it just got me interested in storytelling. So then I became a reader, of course. Um, and then I've always written, you know, small things. And I always wanted to write a novel, but, you know, I just wasn't <clears throat> in a place of discipline to be able to do that. So I finally did about um, 10 years ago, my first novel. And ever since then, I've been you know, working to put out more novels and um, a lot of short stories. And um, this last one is just taking me a little bit longer because I had a baby. And as we all know, that can totally throw you off track. Um, definitely just trying oh, to get yeah. back on track and continue um, to produce books that reflect us. And I like that you said, and, and we're honest enough to say, you know, it threw me off track. I think one thing, and one of the reasons why, you know, this podcast exists is to remember, to edify Black writers, to remind us that everybody's writing journey is not linear. Yep. You know, not all of us, not all of us, you know, started a, you know, got our B, got our BAs in creative writing and just took off. Some, some of us, you know, like myself, had this lull where you couldn't access the, the gift at all. Right. Which, which is equally devastating. It's one thing to, you know, have small children say, oh, you know, I didn't get my pages today. Oh, but my big link, but being a mama is more important. There's a, absolutely. Then there's a whole other shift where you're like, I can't tap into this at all. I had, there's just, there's just nothing there. And uh, as the brilliant and legendary Audre Lorde said that as it relates to writing, it's hard. It's, there, there will be lulls when writers don't write. Again, paraphrasing. There will be there will be times where writers don't write, and those times are devastating because writing is like breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it is, um, and you don't really understand the weight of that quote until you're on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Because there was like a lull for like four or five years where I couldn't tap into to anything, and uh, that was devastating, scary. Yeah. So. so. So, as, so how do you keep on track now with you know with the baby and you know the cre- and the creative juices and trying to get every trying to keep all the balls in the air? What things have you begin to implement that keep you on track? Well, you know my routine. I try to keep my routine. Um, I try to wake up at five because you know unfortunately I still have a day job right now. So I try to mm-hmm. wake up at five um, and get my hours in. Um, you know I have like little techniques for when I. When I'm having a hard time, like, you know, I'll, I'll just switch to maybe journaling or I'll switch to doing some shorts, um, things like that. But most importantly, honestly, when I need a break, I just take it. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, I it, it, I can't force it. So if I need the break, I'm, that's one of the, the 
best things that you know I've learned as an adult and as a black woman when you need a break take the break you know what I'm saying and yeah. maybe I'll just binge watch Netflix and and you know do things like that which are still you know helping me grow as a storyteller I just may not be putting words to paper and it, it is what it is right and um and again as of the release of this particular show Walter Mosley who I completely adore he's like he's like the uncle in my head I love <laughs> I love Walter Mosley he said and he's actually teaching um, a master class on novel writing and brainstorming and the like and I think that's going to be amazing it, they took they, they need to get more black writers on master class that's <laughs> a whole other, a whole other conversation but what he said was he started writing at like 34. I think his first novel was published at 38. We all know that Toni Morrison published The Bluest Eye at like 38, 39. Yep, yep. And uh, he said that he started writing because quote unquote, he had failed at everything else. And he also says that he tries to write for three hours every single day. And there was another instance of his that I actually saw here recently, where he said the reason why he does that is he said, if you have a child, do you just get tired and not take care of them that one day because you just don't want to? Mm -hmm. I thought that was a very interesting way of viewing, of you know, viewing as I love to call it, the work of writing. Mm -hmm. Because most people, I think that the writers, especially if those of, those of us who have day jobs, children, families, and, and other demands, they just think that okay, ideas just bubble up out of nowhere. So, no, sometimes sitting at this keyboard, sitting down with pen and paper, that is work. Because you know that if you don't come up with something, even if you, even if it's like five, ten minutes just brainstorming, again right. while watching Netflix, there's never a time where writers just are not writing. Right. There, there's never a time where you know your imagination is at rest, where you're just not trying to create anything. And the the interesting thing is, and I've noticed this in my own work, that if you don't pay attention to those moments where you probably could be writing. And then you tell yourself, you know, writer line number one, I'll just write it down later. Right. And later never comes. And then you sit down like, oh, I had a great idea. And I didn't even write it. <laughs> and so then you, then you spaz out and then you think that, you know, you're, you know, you're a horrible human being. But the one thing that Walter Moses said is when you write every day, those, it's easier to tap into, tap into that imagination. Um, and Shonda Rhimes had a cool, um, phrase for this in her book the year of death she calls it laying playing track and she calls it the five mile sprint and the and the more often that you write the more often you're in that zone the quicker it is for you to get to where you need to be at so i think i think it's interesting that you also incorporate some level of writing every day along with laying through track along with this thing that all black women need to start doing more of learning how to rest right absolutely because when when the well runs out as a creative person, that that too is quite that too is quite devastating. Yeah. So, so I know that you again following you on social media, I know that you're a big horror fan. What got you interested in writing horror? Because a lot, you know, again, I talked to um, fabulous Tanya Ransom about this as well when I interviewed her for uh, for the podcast uh, earlier or later last year. I asked her what got her into horror writing, and she said that she actually did like a Michael Myers fanfic when she was five, <laughs> which, I, which, I, which I thought was amazing. But also, it kind of dovetailed into where she grew up in, uh, I believe she said it was East, in Eastern Texas, where she had always been kind of fascinated in uh, what John Constantine called, you know, the world behind the world. So, and, and also in, uh, and she also loves classic, classic horror as well. 
but what really got her into that was just being exposed to it. So what actually got you interested in horror writing? Um, so like I said, I've always been interested in storytelling. Uh, and then I had, you know, when I was little, I had uh, aunts who loved horror and would try to like, you know, make movies and try to scare me. And, you know, I, that kind of backfired. It really didn't scare me at all. Um, and then, like, as I got older, um, it's, you know, it's just like a, the less and less I wanted to watch anything else. Like, horror is just, it's a genre that makes me feel thing. You know, different genres speak to different things. People and everybody doesn't romance. Everybody doesn't. Um, and I think that right. sometimes, especially like in the black community, like we're taught that horror bad, and it's not necessarily something bad. Um, it's it can be therapeutic in a lot of ways because at the end of the day, a lot of us have the um, you know darker feelings. Sometimes we have these anxieties, we have these depressions sometimes, and this is just a reflection of that. It can be that. Um, to kind of to see it in an extreme manner, an extreme and fictionalized manner and go, okay, it's not just me, you know, this is going on in other people's heads too. Um, and, you know, I operate in kind of a, a low vibration of anxiety all day, every day. That's just the way that I am. And like I said, horror just, it, it gives, it, it, it makes me feel something. It always has. Um, and so that's why to this day that's pretty much the only thing I read write or watch um, it's good for and I soul, like that honestly right I love I love how you said that it that it speaks to you and I like that you really are saying something that you're, you're basically saying the quiet part out loud right there are there's such a stigma if I can use that word as it relates to black writers, we're all we we're, it's it's expected of us to only write about matters of love and faith and or heartbreak. We can't we're not allowed to have that whole gamut experience of you know feeling this angry that you do this or witnessing something that makes you feel some type of way. Or not, one of my uh, favorite movies that I my potentially favorite movies is what is I think it's called um, the but a very uh, outgoing woman. Or the, um, the basically the, the revenge movie where the best where the best friend takes revenge on the guys who caused her best friend to kill herself, and she and basically she strategically begins to bump them off one by one. I think I think it's called a uh, most uh, most favorable favorable or most accomplished woman. Interesting. Or, I can't I can't remember the name of their name of the movie now, but um, I'm sure I'll put it I'm sure I'll put it in the show notes. But the fact that black writers are not again allowed to truly express that is has always been odd to me. And the fact that you know we're again expected just to write along this gamut. And I told this to um, Tanya as well that some of us are not fit for the happy ever after. That's that's not necessarily a dig that we're just chronically unhappy or chronically uh, melancholy. It's just something invite you to again peer behind the curtain to see to look at the world behind the world absolutely i agree i mean toxic positivity is a thing it really is and yeah. pretending that things are always okay when they are not okay is not okay sometimes we are not okay 
And it's okay to not be okay because only when you get to that point where you're ready to admit it and you're ready to talk about it can you really heal. And, uh, you know, horror is just a creative reflection of that. Right. And again, which goes back to why aren't more Black folk writing horror and why is it always seen as something dark or demonic? Which, uh, which leads me to my next question. Um, I watched the Netflix documentary uh, Horror Noir on Shudder. I took like six pages of notes because everything, <laughs> everything that they were saying confirmed everything in me that was writer and wanted to explore the world. And one of the things that stuck with me is that Tanana Ritu, who is on the executive board for the documentary, who, again, is still teaching at UCLA and somehow being a mother and somehow still writing books, uh, she said that Black history is Black And from that, I have to ask, did you actually see the documentary? I did. It was so good. So good. So good. Loved it. And the fact that she was able to make the correlation, it really unlocked something in me as far as there is there's a basis for why and how Black writers are actually able to create such backstory because some of it is, has already existed and not by our doing. And I think one of the things by which makes horror writing so so complex is that it's that it weaves in this historical this historical backdrop, this historical root, along with experience to say, hey, you know what? I didn't just create. I didn't just create this. I didn't just pull this out. I didn't just pull this out, you know, of the nebulous ether. Like this actually happened, and I'm just building on that. So, from that quote of "Black history is black," or do you actually draw from some history to actually write your own backstory for your story? Um, absolutely, uh, absolutely, I do, and especially in this new book, um, "To the Moon and Back." It has. Um, I, I don't want to give anything away, but. Um, it, like I said, it highlights it highlights the um, some of the unique horrors that Black women face when it comes to pregnancy and um, birth and motherhood, um, and it highlights um, some of the the racial gaps when it comes to medical care. And of course, that you know that that's deep rooted in that's deep rooted in American history. So I, I absolutely try to do that um you know sometimes sometimes it's overt and sometimes it's a little bit more covert like I I don't want my readers when they're reading the book the first time you know I I want it to be very plot driven and I, I want to give them some escape but you know when it's over and they start thinking about it I like for them to be able to go back and peel back those layers and go, oh, wait, hold on. You know, when you're having the book discussion and, you know, make them go back and read it a second time and then be able to find all of those layers. But absolutely, I do draw from um, our history. Shameless plug, Jean Nicole Rivers' books need to be included on book club list. <laughs> they need to be included on book club list. And with with uh, that backdrop, what do you think makes a good horror story? Because I know you said that you don't want your readers to kind of be overwhelmed or have to think really hard when they first when they first read it, which would imply, again, writer, writer, I'm, you're gonna have to go back because it, there's one thing to introduce something, it's another thing 
exactly how your reader go back and go, oh man, I have to figure out where this came from, mm-hmm. which is which is why I think that, um, you know, and we know the show just ended, which is why I think the, the show Supernatural really had a diverse fan base because some because I thought I had a you know a healthy walking around knowledge of you know of lore and uh, things that go bump at night, but there there was something about the show that made me go deeper. Like, okay, what does this mean? What does this look like? Where did this come from? And uh, again, fan, just fangirling for a minute, you know. And now, you know, my daughters are now watching it. And they ask me questions, and you know, when we get from let's say season four to let's say season nine, there's just there's this very heavy and kind of heady almost um, theological concept to it. It's almost it's almost like the writers are growing the fan the fandom up. Okay, we, we had this part, we had these basic things, now we're gonna give you some complex now we're gonna give you some stuff that's complex. Now we're gonna now we're gonna introduce you to if Sam and Jean are actually, you know, out here fighting things that are evil, there has to be something equal or equal or greater than that to counteract that evil. And the only thing big enough would be God or whomever you would call God at this particular point in the show. And then you have you know, like the, and then you have, you know, the angels and then you have free will and so they, so they grow, they they actually grew up the fandom. So I think it's interesting that you said that you don't want to kind of overwhelm, but you definitely want to inspire them to kind of dig a little bit. But the first time, I, the first time you know, read through it, it's awesome. Refer it, tell your friends. Mm-hmm. And the second part is like when you're like doing dishes or mowing grass, those and, and your mind's kind of wandering. It would be dope that you go back and say, "Hey, you know what? Wait a minute. Yep. Hey, you wait a minute." Wait a minute, and then and then your mind makes these kind of correlations that you run to Google and go, "Oh, Jane got yep. me!" <laughs> <laughs> those those are the best. I can't believe this. <laughs> she got me. I thought I she got me, and then you and then you then then here goes the fan the fan club, the book cubs. Girl, did you read X, Y, and Z? Girl, I can't believe she got me. Right. She got me. I can't believe she got me. And it took me like two months. But girl, <laughs> I need my you know I need my book back. Cause I gotta, I gotta make sure I got this together. Right. So, what do you think makes a really good horror story? What do I think makes a really good horror story? Um, you know, for me, a good horror story is is really that underlying message. Um, you know, I I like most horror. You know, pretty much uh, anything that even jump scare horror. It's you know, it's so I don't write jump scare horror, but you know, I enjoy it. But I really like that horror that has that underlying um, that stays with you, and that is disturbing. Honestly, like I like when I watch a horror movie, I just feel like uncomfortable for like the next couple of weeks, um, and there's this movie and I can't remember the name of this movie either um and there's a guy it's it's about a black guy and he he goes to this cabin um in the woods with his his group of friends who happen to be white and you know strange things start happening there are things going up in the night you know but he's also encountering kind of like this culture shock and he's isolated with them and these microaggressions and he gets to a point where he doesn't know he doesn't know whether or not to trust his friends or whether or not he is safe with this group of people and that just you know I was just like wow that just you know kind of struck me because we all feel um 
you know, one way when we're in certain settings, but to be in a different setting and to like, you know, switch that lens and it take on a whole different feeling. Um, it got me thinking like of people like um, Tamla Horsford and things like that. And it was just very, it was creepy. You know, I like those, those horror stories that really, really creep under your skin and stay with you. And that's what I try to write. That is awesome. And, you know, I think with the, you know, resurgence, if we can say that, of Black people really liking the horror movies, and, you know, we can thank uh, Justin Peel for that. The one thing that um, that I love about Peel's work, especially with us and us and Get Out, I'm really looking forward to what else he comes up with, because Jordan's imagination is just, that's something that you have to kind of, like, get coffee and, like, bring snacks to your life, fam. So when you came up with this, I need to know, did you think, like, just, just having those kind of, you know, literary dissertations, because how he's able to create these worlds and create and, you know, and layer these concepts, not everybody can do that. <laughs> not, not everybody can do that, and not everybody can do that well. So the one thing that I have found, again, in, look, in looking at your work and looking at his and kind of just being observant of, you know, Black horror culture as overall right now, is there is a need for storytelling that because sometimes the scare sometimes the scariest thing is not the thing that's supernatural. Oh, right, right. The scariest thing may not be the thing that will that will jump out at you. You know, the scariest thing is just as you said, maybe the the, un, the general unease. Because because you know, as uh, as women, as black women, we've been in those situations by which you you can discern that something is going on, mm-hmm. but not quite sure. So you don't really know if you need to be on ten, right. or you just need to kind of, or you you kind of just need to take your bag and like slowly back away and feel for the door and just bust out. Right. You know. So you know the scarier thing is it is it you know is it the uh, is it the microaggressions of the, of the people who are not who are not black around you, or is it or is it that or is it the uh, the fact that these paranormal supernatural things are happening, and the, and uh, which actually goes to because um, again we're fans of TikTok, so there was this video that was going around. I'm sure that you've seen it, where this uh, young white woman is saying said that um, when she was growing up, she had really bad insomnia, she really couldn't get to sleep. She thought ghosts were going to kill her. You know, th- again these fears that you know kids have, right? And her father said to her, if ghosts could kill people. There wouldn't be any white people left. Well, ain't that the truth? And I sat there, and again, story bubbling, right? Mm-hmm. And so the the one thing that I began to think about was how true that statement is. Just from being, you know, being black, being woman, and being knowledge and being knowledgeable of my history. And again, what Tanana Reduce saying, black history is black work. So again, it takes sometimes I think it takes that that horror lens to reflect back on the world and, we'll, and to reflect back on the world and to the world that we're not the scary ones. Right. We you know we are not the ones that you need to fear. This situation and those like it, those akin to it, those are the things that you need to be mindful of. Which is why I believe it is important to. Give, which is important to encourage to encourage black writers across, across genre because as we control the narrative, we can bring an honesty to it 
that the great that greater white culture will will not. You know, we're still fighting about why it's not why it's not okay for white girls to wear box braids and yet yet still the crown act exists. Right. You know, get a shameless plug for good hair on Hulu. <laughs> you know, why why it is that it is acceptable to, you know, demean people and subjugate them for better than two hundred some odd years. And then when we come out of that, you just assume that everything is okay, mm-hmm. ignoring trauma and whatever mm-hmm. else. So I think that horror is, if I can just say this, horror, horror is the kind of genre that you have to be smart. That you have to, as, uh, as Tanya said, you have to know what scares people and what will scare a lot of people and how to, and how to weave that together to keep their attention. Mm-hmm. So I think horror writing is one of those genres by which if you are not willing to kind of dig and be scared yourself a little bit or again that unease you talked mm-hmm. about if you are not prepared to really sit with that and express that then this would not this is necessarily the, the genre for you but again what do you think being a black woman writing for gives you it gives you the vantage point that you need do you think that being a black woman writing for gives you a unique advantage um, does it give me a unique vantage point? Yes. Does it give me a unique advantage? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. clearly my storytelling, um, all of our storytelling in any, any genre, but especially horror, since we're, we're just not even hardly there. Um, absolute perspective. Um, and absolutely we're going to be stories in a way that no one else is going to be able to give stories and absolutely because we are a minority of the minorities you know we have some of the most stories to tell um does it give me an advantage no i mean the publishing industry is still 80 what 87 percent white women well that you know <laughs> that yes. doesn't give me any advantage 87 percent white women who are gatekeeping the creative genre and trying to tell me what other black women want to read when it comes to the genre. No. Stand on that, ma'am. I just, I would I need you to stand on that soapbox a a little bit taller because every everything you just said, yeah you know i i will i want to i want to just wave my prayer cloth because people do not understand not, you know, when I, people do not i don't think a lot of people understand when i wrote my first two books i i was not concerned about traditional publishing i just wanted to start telling my stories the mountain etc etc um and then when i when I started writing this book, I was like, you know, I'm going to try to do traditional publishing, um, you know, just because I, I want to learn more about that side of the industry. And because um, at the end of the day, they have the deep pockets and the deep power connections to get you the widespread marketing and um, the widespread marketing that you need to, to go to the next level. Um, and when I put the story out there, I originally started with like Pitman and I got a lot of um, from you know, big publishing companies, you know, it was great. They, they want own voices. They want own voices. Um, and it, it just, it, it started to feel so cringy to me. And I always say, this is not a sneak diss on, you know, black people who, who, who go traditional big ups to you. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for you and I'm super proud of you, but it just felt 
so cringy to me. Um, to- Sorry for that. I, I think I got disconnected. I'm, I'm so sorry, but you, but um, you know, we're gonna chunk that up to the glitch of the matrix. <laughs> we and we are going to keep going. But you were saying that you tried to go toward the traditional route with your first two books, and then the, you know, the atmosphere really made you uncomfortable, cringy, as you called it. Yeah. So but for my third book to, to do the traditional publishing, and it just, it was, it was very, like I said, it was just very cringy for me as a black woman writing black stories for other black women to have you know white women tell me what those women want hear, the voice that they want to hear the talk that they want to hear i mean it, honestly they're literally not capable of capable or qualified to tell me that and i'm not saying they're perfect maybe they're not but i, I know that you can't really tell me whether or not they are um, and so I just decided, eh, no, not doing that. I don't like it. It's making me feel some kind of way. Um, and, and so, you know, I say all that to say, no, I don't think that I have an advantage. And I'm glad that you, one, let me, let me affirm the fact that you listen to your inner dialogue enough to say, hey, you know what? I don't like this. I don't like that there are people telling me that how I'm, I'm how I'm storytelling from this vantage point with this experience with this history that you as a non that you as a non-black person are telling me what people what women what people who look like me want to read right you know, it's, you know <clears throat> it's the audacity for me yep which is which is why again this is this is not I too second that I second that because I think sometimes that writers, especially black writers, feel that in order to be seen, we have to go traditional publishing. You know, we have to go through the rewrites. We have to go, we have to go through the channels and hoops that they set up this particular industry, which is predominantly white, set up in order to be seen. Or from um, to flip that on its head, if it is seen, just like you said, you know, the dialogue isn't right. Or, or, you know, does it have to be like this? And the one thing that I found and still find incredibly fascinating is that black folks set culture. We set trends. And as Amy Pan says, said, you know, we speak English. You know, there's there's uh, the language I use to, you know, the podcast. But there's also the language I use when I'm with my best friend or when I'm with my mother or when, you know, I'm with my grandmother. When, when again, when I was, a, when I was small, her Mississippi, Steve, there it goes. Her her accent would rub off on us. So I take right. I take all those experiences, I take all those Englishes, as it were, and I bring that to my work. So the fact that I have or would have my protag or my protag and my antag having dialogue and, and the AAB jumps out, you can't tell me as a black writer, I can't have that in there. And you also you know, when you're just speaking on AABE, literally, 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 with the industry being how it is demographically, you are asking me to write black books for white gays. Woo! Literally. There is Woo! no way around that, you know? And what about my offering? Where's my, my offering? Yeah, whether it's, you know, 
and, and don't be wrong, there are a lot of uh, black books by black authors that I absolutely love, but so many of them I notice, you know, there's this overuse of AAVE, or there's the white love interest or the white best friend, or there has to be these underlying, you know, um, uh, currents of unity, etc. You know, mm-hmm. listen, that's all great if that's what you want to write, but I need to be able to write what I want to write. Right. And again, the fact that you were able and, you know, cognizant, cognizant enough in your talent to say, this is not going to work for me. And a lot of writers don't do that. And again, that's not a dig on them. Look, we all have to eat. Rent has to be paid. Workers have to be met. Disney, Disney shoot. There's, there's, a, there's a level to writing that is purely business. We get that. The thing that you know that I jump up on jump up on the same soapbox with you about is, but you cannot tell me I can't bring all of me to my pages. You for you tell me that because I am a black woman that I can't bring everything that has made me the black woman that I am, and you know, in observing the black woman around me and walking through the world as a black. Woman, who are you to tell me that I can't bring that with me? You know, which goes into, uh, you know, Pieces I Am, uh, the Toni Morrison documentary, uh, where she, where, you know, she actually wrote The Bluest Eye and then actually, you know, began to get some success while teaching and, you know, bring other people, you know, bring other people around, such as Angela Davis. The, the thing that struck me about uh, some of the reviews for, uh, especially uh, for Tony's book, I believe it was, I think it was suicide. One of the, uh, one of the critics who happened to be a white woman kind of gave this dig at Tony saying that, you know, Miss, you know, again, paraphrasing, you know, Miss Morrison ha- you know, has a talent, but she needs to, but basically telling her, the story doesn't need to sound so black. Mm. And, and Tony, and Tony, you know, because she told me, said, that you know, I don't write books for white people. Right. And when she said that, and watching the documentary again, we lost Tony now what two years ago. So now I sat there as a writer trying to do this work, trying to tell my stories, trying to do everything that I know I'm supposed to do as far as it relates to talent and what I believe God has given me to do with it. I cried. Yeah. I cried because because there is something. There is something about when you begin as a writer to challenge, especially as a minority writer, no matter the minority, when you begin to challenge the narrative that those that those who keep the master narrative cannot handle. Yep. They cannot handle that. It's because they cannot handle that, they always want to work in the white savior trope. Right. I said I said it and I'll add more to it before I take before I ever take it back. They want to work in the white savior narrative. Well, you know, does, does a Prozac have to be, in, you know, can she have a white child to take care of? No, she's a conjure woman and she's evil. No, <laughs> you know, no, she didn't have one. No, yeah. she didn't have one. You know, does, you know, does the does the black male Prozac, does he have to be so angry? Yes, because the Klan killed his family and he went and killed all them. No, there is no, re- he doesn't have a redemption art. He's just mad. Right. You know, he he's he's just that. Yeah. And again, something something about you know controlling that controlling the narrative from the opposite end. You know, when the rabbit has a gun, that the publishing industry as a whole sometimes not seem to really embrace because it because it reminds them again of that mirror that you know sometimes horror and definitely fiction holds up 
that we the system that we're operating in, we didn't create that. Absolutely. We didn't do that. It wasn't it wasn't us. It wasn't us. So there's nothing that you can do or say that will make me back up on my storytelling. There's nothing that you can say by which will allow me to say my talent is for sale. Mm-hmm. That, you know, with you, you know, in the continued success of, uh, you know, of Blackwater Tales, you, there's nothing that this woman or this editor could have ever told you to say, you know what, if you just changed it, I, if I wanted to change it, I would have changed it with my editor. I'm not changing this because right. this is an integral story. I'm not doing that. So on some, on certain ends, we know um, that certain books sell, and we know that um, with the success of Black War, everybody's looking for everybody's looking for any kind of horror writer who happens to be black. Mm-hmm. That's fine. That's great. You know, bust in the door however you can, fam. <laughs> you know, right. bust in however you can. But the but on some end, it feels kind of token because we've been out here doing this work forever. We've been out here, you know, relaying you know family stories and you know keeping family secrets and there's you know again and as as it relates to my family who have these roots in the in these uh you know in these voodoo practices but you, you don't necessarily know where they came from but you know they exist and then in bringing in bringing that to my into storytelling you as a white person cannot tell me that this is not valuable right. what you're telling me is it's not profitable and because it is not profitable and your goal is to make everything profitable you think this too is, you think my storytelling is for sale. And the fact that you were able to say, you know what? No. <laughs> right. No, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going to do that. And it's I'm not, it's going not to that do. it's not profitable. They don't know, they, they don't understand it a lot of the times and they don't know really how to market to us. Um, right. And so it's not that it's not profitable. It's not that it's not profitable. I mean, they, they just, they don't understand it a lot of the times, it, you know. Right, which is kind of a dual-edged sword. Like, okay, if I explain it to you, you still don't like it. Then, then we just sitting here across this desk, both mad at each other because because you you mad I won't change it, and I'm mad you're asking me to change. It. Exactly. I mean, and I just think, um, as far as like representation goes, I, you know, I see a lot of, especially like in film, a lot of black characters, but these stories are still not being written by and large by by black people. You know, whenever right. I see a black film, I'm always going to go like quote unquote black film. I'm always going to go and look at the details, and, and more likely than not, 80 percent of the time, it is not a black writer, or it may be a team, which means it was probably a white writer who decided to bring on somebody black because they knew that they may get some backlash otherwise, but it may not necessarily, you know, be their story. So, you know, I, I'm seeing that a lot too, and it's it's bothersome. We're gonna put a pin. We're gonna put a quick pin in that because that right there. You can talk all day, huh, Joe? That that <laughs> that piece, that piece, that is that is dissert that is dissertations long. But it also it also dovetails into what things or what things are you enjoying in this again horror resurgence now? You know, we talk about we talk about the impact of Jordan Peele. We know the monstrous success of Lovecraft Country. And side note, I'm really waiting to have the debate because I read the book. I haven't actually seen the uh, the series just yet. I'm really waiting to have an honest conversation about Ruby and Hillary, like deep dive Ruby and Ruby and Hillary, like 
in the book again this is this is a little this is a little bit of a teaser but ruby it gets with uh mr Van white he wakes up in his house and ruby is describing the describing the book by matt ruff who is not black <laughs> you know he, he um he depicts her as this very voluptuous, dark-skinned, beautiful black woman. She wakes up in Kayla Bathwright's uh, house, basically as a white woman. Mm. She wakes. She wake, He gives her, and then she's like, "You know what is going on?" <gasps> and and uh, so then she kind of moves through the world, knowing that she's Ruby, knowing that she's black, but appearing white. And then and, and then in the elevator. She basically transformed back into Ruby. And when I read that, I wanted to throw my, I wanted to I actually listen to it on Audible. I want to throw my phone because again, I'm like, I'm like, see, this is the problem. <laughs> this is the problem. You, you want black women to be in a position by which they are controlled and dominated by a white female narrative. And then when we are not, we are shunned. So I'm like, I'm like, but I'm like, that's a whole other, that's a whole other, whole other conversation. But the, but the fact, uh, again, what things are you excited about seeing in this horror culture now, especially with the impact of Lovecraft Country, which we know the writers are black, and we know that the production is headed is is uh, influenced and headed by Jordan Peele. So what things are you enjoying in the culture right now, as far as it relates to horror? Um, you know, I'm just enjoying the overall journey and the overall process of seeing us um, embrace horror as a genre and, you know, seeing the steps that we're taking towards fully embracing it. Like I said, you know, we're, we're not fully there um, just because of the way the industry is set up, but I think we're headed in the right direction. Honestly, I'm right. Right. And uh, I too, I too am. The thing that I find so interesting about uh, about Lovecraft Country is that you can tell it's written by black folks. Like you can, you can just there. It moves the story, and from what the clip that I see, it the, the whole show moves different. Mm-hmm. If I can use that, it moves different. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like I'm watching, quote unquote, someone who is not not black write about black folks. Right. It feels that man. This is okay. What's gonna happen mm-hmm. next? Especially, especially with them bringing in again, as we spoke about before, bringing in these aspects of Black history, quote unquote, and and even minstrelsy, and then bringing in you know blackface, and then bring again, and even working in you know Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And if you know the backstory to that, you know that Robert Louis Stevenson was on cocaine and wrote this story in three days, and then he didn't like it and wrote it all over again. No, I didn't know that. You know. Oh yeah, so writers have all kind of weird walking around. And I actually learned about that in a class. I'm like Robert Louis Louis Stevens was high on cocaine. I'm like, mm, I could, okay, I can, see, I can see that. Yeah, I can, I yeah, I can kind of, yeah, I can kind of see that. <laughs> you know, but the thing that I like about your work is the fact that you take control of that narrative. That that you know, no matter where your characters are, they they are unapologetically black. Like this, like this is where they are. Again, you can tell that this, these are stories written by a black woman or black folk. But if you, but if you happen not to be black and pick it up, you gonna like yep. it too. <clears throat> so what do you think makes your fiction, your horror, your fiction different than 
different than what is currently being marketed. Do you think, again, which goes back to that advantage of being black, black and woman in storytelling? What do you what do you think makes it makes it makes it different? We know we know tropes are we know tropes are trash. <laughs> Especially if it relates to black folks. We know tropes are trash. But some of but some of them, you know, with proper seasoning can work. So what do you what do you think makes yours different? Um to you know, just to kinda go back, um, I think that my book's being written from uh, the perspective of black women and also in this particular series it's a small town series um, and I think if I can say this it, my horror feels comfortable to me it does at least like I like for my reader to feel comfortable like when they come you know a lot of people will tell me oh I'm so happy to be going back to Blackwater which is the name of the fictional town and I, I like when people feel comfortable in my core. You feel comfortable and uncomfortable at the same time if there is such right. a thing. And again, that goes back to just kind of that disturbance that sticks with you. Because, you know, a lot of the time, some of the most horrific things happen in our homes with people that we know in places that we are comfortable and uncomfortable at. That line. Um, of comfort and discomfort and, and again th- that's one of those very creepy things and again not everybody can do that and I like that you said that you want your reader to become comfortable because as soon as they get comfortable <laughs> then they jump out the chair and go oh you got me I can't what what oh. and then and then that's when you go back and I, I can only speak for my nerdiness when I read about things like that I, I pause either if I'm if it's audible I pause <laughs> And I go to Google and I look up and then I rant for a minute, then go back. I, I, I gotta see, I gotta see how it ends. I gotta, I gotta see how it ends. But again, and what from, from what I what I get from your work is that that comfort is setting as well. Like, okay, come come in. You know, we you know, we got sweet tea, you know, the, the air conditions on, it's a little hot outside, the windows open, but you know, when it gets to be nine o'clock, we have to close the door because that's when the wolves come out. Hold exactly. on, what? Hold on, what? So what? Yep. So it, you know, and uh, which uh, kind of goes into um, and this this story was on uh, Nightlife where uh, Tanana Review actually submitted a story to uh, the podcast. Shouts to Tanya for making that happen. And uh, the story I believe is called Last Stop on Route Nine. Yes, and uh, and uh, Tanana Review, uh, like you, makes up this this fictional place in Florida. I believe that's where she's from. And uh, I think it was Graceland, Florida. And then you know, they drive through the fog, and then they get to this alternate reality. And you and you kind of and you feel again, again, a black a black girl who who has a parent who are who are from clearly aside from Missouri, one of the most racist places on the planet. And having that, I've had that unease where you know you're going home, you know where home is, but we got to go through Mystic mm-hmm. to get there. Yeah, we gotta go. We gotta go. Hello, you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of like the holding your breath of, ooh, you know, like kind of what's gonna happen this time. But it, but I'm going home. But I know that home is yet near and far away. You know, it's it's, it's near, it's near and far away. So, so you get accustomed to that kind of anxiety and the fact that you and Tanner and other uh, writers that I know who actually do horror can actually put word to that 
is incredible because not everybody yeah. can, especially if you have not lived that experience. Especially if you've not lived that experience. So uh, with us unpinning a little bit of Lovecraft Country, do you think there is more space for black for black character-driven horror stories? Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> There's a <laughs> lot more space for uh, black character stories. Um, I'm actually hoping, even though I don't know a lot about it, I'm hoping that um, Candyman, the remake, is going to be more character-driven narrative. It looks like it will be, so I've got my fingers crossed for that, but infinite space right now. I... Oh, I, I humbly submit as tribute that you and I watch that and live react. However, however we can, if that means it's on Zoom and we just compare and like, girl, did you see? Girl, I can't believe. Woo! I, they just, I just can't. I need a, woo, I just can't. Wait a minute now. Wait, we can, we can just ease past this. <laughs> no, we can't just ease past this. You know, I think I, I I fully submit that we need to do that on Zoom, and then we and then uh, and then come back and again offering you space, come back in and we and we weigh on that because I I think what uh, Nika DeCosta DeCosta is doing with Candyman is monumental. Not just because it's a black woman director, not just because it's Candyman, not and again here I go being a nerd. We know Clive. We know Clive Owen wrote that. I think the uh, the Story, I think it was called The Forbidden. So we have Clive Owen, a white guy who wrote this story, and then, you know, it being kind of classic to the point that it's urban leisure for mm-hmm. black folks. <laughs> you know, he so you know, he is he is our bloody Mary. Right. So, you know, we mm, we don't we don't do that. <laughs> you know, we don't mm, no, we don't we don't do that. Even in you know, in the clip where you have Vanessa Williams when he's trying to say that she goes and she kind of claps and goes, Right. You know, which goes back, you know, which kind of goes back to my upbringing, like, uh-uh. Without even, without even, without even giving words that unease, we all know with that double clap and that finger, with the, we all know right. what that means. We're not, we're not going to invite Absolutely that in Because <laughs> we, we got enough, to, we got enough to fight. We got enough stuff going on. <laughs> we got enough to and fight. That, did you know it's that enough. part of that story is based on the true story? Okay, no. so a lot of people don't know this, but the part about Candyman coming through the mirror was partially based on a woman. I can't remember her name. I think her name was Ruthie May. And I can't remember her last name, but she lived in um, like low-income apartments, and I believe it was in Chicago. And she kept calling the police yeah. and telling them that somebody was coming through her window. And nobody believed her because uh-huh. you know, she was mentally ill. She's a black woman, and they ended up you know, yeah. finding her a few days later, um, passed away. From, and somebody had come through her oh, mirror. Because, you know, because it was, oh. cheap, you know, it's like, you know, like in the Candyman movie, you know how when they push through the mirror, there's another apartment on the other side. And so, yeah, very interesting. And, and again, that, you know, that, that casual horror that we all grew up with, like, you know what, you know, that, that place is haunted, you know, Miss Ruth, that Miss Ruthie died and they mm-hmm. grabbed it. They said they came through to the mirror you know so th- so it's this casual uh you know storytelling that we've all grown up with again like with the with the demon in the wood and i, and I really want to ask my grandmother how you right know? <laughs> how, how you how you know but then it but then i knew that on certain ends there's a wall that because and that instant that you know some of these things come, come about and come from trauma 
and again, that's what you said, you know, Miss Miss Ruthie saying that you know somebody coming through the mirror, and they and they knowing that you know quote unquote she's mentally ill, they dismiss her, which go which right. goes on, you know, especially if it relates to you know medical racism when it relates to black women. Like, okay, I'm I, something is wrong with me. You don't believe something is wrong with me because you don't really see right. me as a person. Absolutely. So I I think that just as you said, you know. With the success of Lovecraft Country, there needs to be more spaces, but there also needs to be more people in those spaces who look like us to say, hey, you know what? I like, you know, it just, you know, speaking success into your existence. You know, I, I like, you know, these black alert sales. Somebody needs to make me the podcast. We need to get some black actors. We need to get some black actors and get this script together. We need to we need right. to do that. I mean, they did that, they mean they did that for you and um for Carolyn Kittness. And now you have all these girls, you know, in love with Joe. But I'm like, Joe is a take on Ted Bundy. What is I wrong know. with y'all? <laughs> <laughs> Joe's a take on Ted. What's wrong with y'all? But at the, but at the same time, I, you know, as, as at the same time, I cheered when he killed Oh, me. my gosh. I love me some Joe. I, I can't even I lie. I cheered. I cheered. I'm like, you know, because <laughs> how... Because how Carolyn kept this dick, which again, I think I think Joe on some level, I don't think it's necessarily suspense. I think Joe has four things in it. And I really want to see what, I really want to know what Carolyn Kipp just thinks about that right. kind of interpretation. But you see that, you know, Beck's life is all great and gravy. And you're like, oh, this is so, he's such a good boyfriend. This is so, why can't I? And then you think, but he killed so people to get, to, to get the her. Like he killed the ex-boyfriend. He killed the girl who was obsessed with her. And uh, this is impossibly some and, and uh, killed the boy. And again, referring to the show, not the book. He killed, you know, the dude who was uh, beating his neighbor's wife, the girlfriend, and being mean to his, you know. And then, you know. And then you show it's like, oh, Joe's so right. This is so amazing. You know, Look at how happy I love you are. that part of and it. And then you're like, wait, like, wait a minute. Like, Joe killed Kofi. I'm supposed to be repulsed, but I can't, but I can't stop watching because he's such a good I dude. I love, I love, I love the sympathetic villain. I just love when you can create this horrific person and still make people empathize with them. But because, because, you know, they may see that one little speck of darkness in themselves that is reflected in that person and they relate to them. And again, that's when you disturb people. I love it. Right. And again, looking at, and then, you know, and he, you know, us fangirling, you know, you right quick. And, you know, and looking at even season two and, you know, the memes that have come up from that. And when you actually see, when you actually see love, like ma- truly matching his energy, you're like, ooh, just... Oh, oh, they crazy. Oh, they crazy, crazy. Right. Okay. <laughs> oh, she, she, oh, she, oh, she, hmm. you know, and, and, and uh, the irony is my best friend and I would, you know, talk about, you know, trauma and growing and growing up, you know, in, in the environments that we did. She said that if she was, she said that Beck was stupid for going and looking up in the ceiling. <laughs> And hey. everything. She's like a, she's like a real girl who would, would have been like, you know what? That ain't don't my look business. For <laughs> no one's fine. Up. 
I'm like, that, that ain't my bitch. And just and can't <laughs> And everything again, but there are those there are those dark impulses. Because again, we you know, we see and you know, again with romance being idolized in the culture, we know that we want the guy, the knight in shining armor who will slay the dragons and rescue the damsel. You know, Disney has made how much money off that particular trope. And to flip that on its head to say, you know what? I'm happy. This has nothing to do this this has nothing to do with me. <laughs> and at the same time, at the same time, it's just it, that 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 lackadaisical attitude is kind of why why uh you know we kind of point at you know the girlfriends and wives of these evil people. Like, hey, didn't you know? Of course right. you knew. But her life was right. fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, like one, like one, you know. You know, to speak of you know sympathetic villains, you have I think it was a what the, the Iceman um, uh, movie that was document that was out about Richard Richard Kozinski. I'm sure I'm sure I put yeah. his last name. Where he had a wife and kids and house and his job was scamping. So he would do that, do everything right. he needed to do, and came home. You know, bought Christmas trees, presents. Yeah, you know. Hug yeah. his wife, and he and he was able to say, you know, that's just my job. And I think one of the things that makes uh, Joe so relatable as the anti-hero is he is that again that dark reflection of what women say that we want. We want somebody to love us, love us unconditionally, do any do anything for us. And Joe literally went out here and did what and did and did you know he did the anything. He did the anything, and you know, and it then it goes into how you know how far does anything go? And as we and as we begin to wrap up, I know that um, you know you too are maybe a fan of plastic horror, and we know that we know that our beloved Tanya Ransom is. So, what is one classic horror story you would love to reinterpret with a black antagonist, and why? I know for um, for her podcast Nightlight, I redid um, the Headless Horseman. So I, I redid that with a with a black antag and um, named Avery and Tanya. And Tanya still was probably looking waiting on that first draft for that novel. But I'm that Tanya. I promise I'm getting backstory written. I promise I got backstory written for it. But what is one classic classic horror story you would like to interpret with a black antag and why? Okay, so I'm going to give kind of like it. So you said protagonist, not antagonist, right? For this case, protag or antag, depending on the story. I'm going to say, I'm going to go, there's just so many. I could go on for days, but I'm going to go with Carrie. And in a way, in a way, I feel that it has been done with the movie Ma and I know Ma got mixed reviews but I really liked it because I just think it really explored how a black girl being in a predominantly white environment growing up um, and all of the uh, micro racism and micro microaggressions can really lead to a lot of unpacking that has to happen in adulthood to make you okay with who you are. Um, and obviously she did not do that. So I feel like it was done in a, in a way, but just the whole, um, the whole setting and atmosphere with Carrie, like actually going back 
to that time and being in that time period, I think would be really amazing um, to watch that teen girl go through that. Um, so that's my story, but I would I would love to, and I have plans to um, do the horror subgenre zombies with um, a cast of, of black protagonists, and it, not in any not any particular zombie movie, but I think that the subgenre, I think it needs a little bit of a shift in the lens and a a bit of a shift in the perspective um, and some of the nuances and subtleties. And I think it would be, that's zombie films are actually my favorite subgenre. And I'm excited to kind of, to, to kind of do a twist on it. Hashtag Justina Ireland can't do all. <laughs> no, she cannot. She did a very good job. <laughs> she can't do all. Of she, I, like I like I told you, J, Jane McKean is my alternate alternate reality I grandmother. Love it. I love Jane McKean. <laughs> she is complicated. She is backward. She has, she's troubled. <laughs> but Jane, but Jane knows who she is, which is awesome, which is what you don't find sometimes, especially in these uh in other, you know, white dominated narratives, especially as it relates to dystop- dystopian alternate especially about the Civil War. So the fact that she was able to, to bring all which is again an example of bringing all of you with you when you write these when you write these stories. So Dean, this has been this has been so incredible and so amazing. And you have again, you are welcome back at this particular portion of Beyonce's <laughs> internet, whatever you like. Can you can you please tell um, our listening our listening audience where they where they can find you? Again, all this will be in the show notes. But where can they find you? And what can we look forward to you being to uh, being released? So um, it's weird. I don't even really know all of my. Um handles i think my my twitter and instagram is at gnicole19 um and i think my tiktok is at gnicole uh r19 um my website is gnicolerivers.com i mean any of those places uh, right now i'm working on the what is going to be the first book in a new series um that is going to be a little bit lighter than horror. I'm just going to call it dark thriller right now because it is going to be missing some of those more classic horror elements. Um, and it's called Lies in the Lake. And I am hoping to have that out um, sometime in summer 2021. I'm excited for that, but I, I cannot let you go without you answering this last question. Do you think that Beloved should be cut, should be considered as part of the horror genre there's all these whispers in you know in literary dark corners that think that it should be because of the element and people who are saying no that's kind of that's not what it was originally written as do you think it could be considered part of yes, the horror I genre do. i think all of the elements are there and i think the pushback is again just kind of that stigma that is on the horror genre that shouldn't be there in the first place But it has been it has been a joy to have you, Dean. Make sure that you all are following Dean on all her platforms. All her information will be in the show notes. Support Black writers, especially on social media. It helps to it helps to increase book sales and, and increase their exposure. And that you can also know what they are doing next. Because what is imperative for indie authors is exposures and book sales. So 
we I am so happy that you came, Gina, that you made time today. And I look forward to everything that you're going to do. And I look forward to going back to Thank Black you. Water. I appreciate you and your work. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you so much. The time has come to leave you to your thoughts and words. The hope is that what was shared in this space was encouraging, empowering, and a catalyst to write. Special thanks to Valor Music LLC for all audio production and mixing. All business inquiries and advertising inquiries can be sent to circlethewritersblock at gmail.com. If you feel so inclined to support the work of this podcast to continue to fight erasure of black and minority writers, consider supporting through Cash App at dollar sign J-B-H-W-R-I-T-E-S, that's J-B-H Writes, or PayPal at S-G-L-L-C dot one zero three eight at yahoo.com. We will see you next time when we circle the block. Are you having a hard time finding a Black narrator? Your search is over. Let Ghost Readers bring the voice in your head to life. Ghost Readers provides voice services, ads, audiobook narration, and even super simple, ready-to-go voiceover templates. Visit ghostreaders.com. Let us add soul to your words.